Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, hello. Welcome to the UK Film Review Podcast. Um, we are back, um, and funnily enough, we are back twice because we've already done this show. <laughs> Quite a few of the people on this, well, everyone on this podcast uh, joined me last weekend to talk about Christopher Nolan, and we had some serious tech issues at the end and lost all the files. So we're doing it again. Um, much like a Christopher Nolan film, we're going to revisit, and... I kind of saw it as maybe an inception moment that the first one was the first layer of the dream and this is going to be the second layer of the dream. Um, But it might feel very familiar if everyone starts saying the same things they did last week. Um, But yes, we're going to talk about Christopher Nolan films and with me, I have some of the UK Film Review critics. We have Alicia Moore. Hello. We've got Chris Buick. Hi. I've forgotten Andrew's last name because it's not on my screen. (laughs) <laughs> Andrew Young, sorry. As I go, hello everyone. <laughs> um, we've got Ian Lunny. Hi there. And we've got Brian Penn. Hi there. Sorry, Andrew, because we have several Andys who work for the site, and they was like, "Who? Which one?" Absolutely one's fine. So sorry about that. Um, how is everyone? Is everyone good? Yeah, doing well. Yeah, yeah. Good. fine. Yeah, excellent. Fantastic. Have we had time to kind of get over last weekend? Is everyone simmered down now? <laughs> yes, very much. So. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think I could be forgiven for what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing it wasn't recorded. I mean, that's the main thing. I've changed um, my stance since then. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, you know, listeners out there, um, you should at least appreciate the fact that over the last week, we've done quite a lot to make sure that this happened. Um, I mean, Brian Penn even went so far as to buy a new laptop. <laughs> wow. That's how serious I am. Yeah. Yeah. Serious that it, that it happens. Well, we um, can't trump that. <laughs> No, so um, it only seems fair to maybe start with Brian <laughs> tonight. <laughs> um, so just um, so for the listeners, uh, so they know, Brian, how do you feel generally about Christopher Nolan? 
Well, I think with Christopher Nolan, there's a difference between respect and admiration. Christopher Nolan's films are dark, introspective, perhaps overly clever. It doesn't always appeal to everyone. He is very good at what he does, but will always divide opinion because he's that kind of director. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think yeah, when we go up the uh, the list, we'll see the sort of varying levels of of how people feel about Nolan. Um, no less so than the next person. So, Ian, how do you feel about Christopher <laughs> Nolan? Um, so, I'd, I'd say firstly that I don't think he's necessarily a bad director, but I think he's certainly overrated as a director. I think his films look great, uh, and there's a fantastic attention to detail in his films that I just think you know you don't get many directors of that today making films on the scale he is to that detail. And when you compare him to other directors, uh, I don't wish to trash anybody, but I certainly don't rate somebody like Michael Bay, for example. But when you compare him to him, obviously, Christopher Nolan's making films of like such a huge standard. But I think at the same time, I do think recently his recent films have been deteriorating in quality. So I sometimes think that his with a bigger budget, he's actually gone too far into making a film that I don't necessarily think is of uh, as good a quality as his older uh, catalogue. That was very balanced. I feel like you've been practising that, Ian. Yeah, I have. I'm not going to lie. Do you want me to just go full out and be like, <laughs> I hate everything he's ever done? <laughs> no. I'll see if I can uh, find the original uh, recording of uh, what you said. Um, uh, Andrew? Yes, I am pro-Nolan, I'd say, overall. Um, I think at times, and with Brian, on the respect and admiration rather than adoration, uh, but yeah, in general, I think he varies. I think a couple of his most recent films perhaps um, haven't won me on quite so much, but I think he's perhaps best when he's playing with a good story and a good uh, tw- a good twist and a good turn like he does in his earlier films, as opposed perhaps to just time. Yeah, I think you're right. Sometimes the sort of... Um... You, know, you look at the later films, there's normally like a, I don't want to use the word gimmick, but there is a sense of that there's something that he wanted to try and do. Like there's a core mm. idea and then the film kind of evolves around that rather than some of the more story-based um, films earlier on. Um, Chris Buick? Yeah, I'm going to echo what Brian and Andrew said. And I am a fan and more of a an admiration, I'd say, than a, a love for no one per se. Um, but he does create films that you want to go see at cinema. You want to go and you want to go witness the spectacle and see what he's come up with next because he's a he's a director with big bold ideas. Um, I do agree that maybe his uh, his more recent films have suffered a bit from maybe again a bigger budget means he's trying too much and it doesn't really gel as well as his earlier films did but generally yeah i think he's he's a he's a director well uh, a well-respected director and definitely makes made some very interesting films yeah absolutely i mean it's interesting to think of someone trying too much do you know what i mean I, I think it's cool that he does to you know try to push the envelope but then you know, we'll get into it but there's obviously a, a level where it becomes you know is this too much you know our audience is going to actually connect with this um alicia I don't think that there is a Nolan film that I don't like, but I do agree with his earlier stuff being a little bit more, maybe I wouldn't say interesting, but you could, you could really grasp onto it more. 
Um, mm. But yeah, I, I definitely I'm pro Nolan, um, and I I think I've rethought uh, the phrase "I love Christopher Nolan" and I've changed <laughs> that to "I appreciate Christopher Nolan." I, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot more because it 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 is kind of a I love the fact that he does want to explore so much in film, but mm. I think that then translates into appreciation. I feel like you guys have gone away and, and had a whole week to think about your own personal feelings on Christopher Nolan and have come back totally different. So this is going to go anywhere now. I don't know you. If I everyone's think it's my, when I said I gave to uh, like one, you the reaction from you and Brian was like so <laughs> like uh, shocked that I've had to reevaluate. I genuinely think my computer nearly shut down just out <laughs> of complete upset. It was like because I had IMDb up, so they were just going, "Oh God, what are you saying?" <laughs> they obviously they obviously listen to everything you know, all the podcasts and go, oh, as, God. I, as i said before we started it's for me there's either the greatest film ever or the worst film ever there's no in between <laughs> <laughs> well um we're going to keep the same structure as last weekend so um we'll start with the the newest film and work backwards so um that's tenet not tenant uh, or tenet or whoever saying it differently um it kind of does get confusing when you start saying this word over and over again um but tenet obviously came out um last year it was the big film for the cinemas and it, i think it did pretty well because well uh, one of the few films that you could actually go see and also a film that a lot of people wanted to go back and watch multiple times um i've only watched it once and i kind of feel um i will definitely revisit but i need to be ready for that uh alicia how do you feel about tenet i wow i really really liked it but unfortunately <laughs> i didn't get to see it in the cinema because i yeah. couldn't, I just couldn't leave the house so but it, it was good watching it still at home but the problem with the sound just a little tiny bit overpowering but i think that did play well in certain parts where you know you you, you couldn't really hear some of the, what the characters were saying, but in such a turbulent story, it kind of worked somehow. But the the music and everything, it was just, I, I just thought it was brilliant. It's an experience. That's what you get with Nolan films. And I think it was just a great experience overall. I, yeah, totally agree. And I was aware of the sound um, situation before I went in. So people... I mean, sound across all known films seems to be dividing people in terms of whether they like the score and, and things like that. Um, and I had heard that the sound was a huge thing uh, in this one, but also that the dialogue was difficult. Did you find the dialogue difficult to keep up with? Only at some points, but after thinking about it, you know, it didn't actually bother me. I, I found it difficult at some points, but it, it wasn't annoying and it didn't take me away from the story because it was very immersive in that way mm, yeah i i found that i had subtitles on which i do anyway and and that really helped but it was a film that i kind of had to feel rather than fully understand especially this sort of only one time i've seen it but um i mean andrew how about you did you is it was it an enjoyable film for you yeah it tenet's an interesting one isn't it because i think it had this great weight of expectation and it felt like it disappointed a little bit, I think, for a lot of people. And it, it came, the when it came out, and I didn't see it at the cinema, but when it came out, it had this feeling of like the film that was going to save cinema, didn't it? I think because of the pandemic, because of everything. And I think it is perhaps important to remember that a lot of people thought that Tenet was going to kind of revitalise things. And we put that store by Christopher Nolan's name. 
And I think something that got lost, and I think we didn't really mention that much in the last podcast, so I'm glad we're recording it really, is how his name attached to something just makes it such a big prospect. And there's very few directors around like that. I think we're, we're in a film marketplace in a film industry where franchise dominates and studios dominate. I think with Disney and Marvel and things. And therefore, having a, a director who can tell an original story in their own way and a distinctive way and get people flocking to see it, whether you maybe can't hear it or he goes a bit too hard on the timey-wimey stuff. Like, I think that's something to be treasured. And I think I'm glad that the film industry has Christopher Nolan, like whether his films are good or bad. That was... I was very profound apart from the timey-wimey bit. I, I hadn't really thought of his, uh, his business timey-wimey, but I will definitely be using that from now on because like, it really helps. Like, oh, yeah, it, it's a great film. Timey-wimey bit, obviously, but, you know, you stick with it because it's a great, great film. Um, yeah, I mean, Brian, um, how are you with the, the timey-wimey films and, and all the others? Well, timey-wimey films, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? <laughs> I think there was a lot of pressure on Tenet because it came out when it did. It came out between lockdowns. So it inadvertently put it under a lot of pressure to be good. It has the mark of Nolan about it. Brilliantly executed. But personally, I found it heavy going. I need to conquer a desire to understand what I'm watching. As a result, it didn't land too well for me. I just wasn't feeling it at the time. You know, a key reference point in the film is don't try and understand it. So I think I need to see it a second time to fully appreciate it. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I think I don't think there is a single Nolan film that I've only watched once. Actually, no, Interstellar is the only one I've only watched once. But we'll we'll get to that. Um, Chris, uh, how about you? Yeah, I unfortunately didn't get to see it at the cinema either, um, due to um, not being able to go. Um, but yeah, there was this massive expectation on it last year. Uh, to sort of save cinema and everyone was worried about what the landscape for cinema would look like. And then, you know, Tenant was announced. And I, I agree, Nolan's got, Nolan is a director whose name is enough to um, to sell a film. There's only a handful of directors, as was said, that can do that. Um, and the fact that a Nolan film was, it was a Nolan film at that time made it even more exciting, but even more pressure on it. So with all that in mind, in my head, when a film is that hyped up, it does sort of play into the fact like, well, what if it's not that good? Thankfully, I I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I think it's a really well put together film. It's got some really amazing set pieces and a great cast. And I think um, for me, I was told ahead of, ahead of going in to watch it by a few friends that basically quoted the film, said, don't try and understand it the first time you go around, just feel it, um, which I, I think does benefit you on the first run through it. And it's definitely a film that will reward you every time you watch it. There's always more things in, to pick up and you'll start putting more of it together. Um, but yeah, I think first time around, you just really need to go with it. But I enjoyed it, I must say. I, yeah, I agree that um, I do definitely want to go and watch it again. And I know I'll get more from it because I, I pretty much have with every Nolan film that I've gone back to um, and not one of them has been less than a four star film. Ian, how much, how many stars did you give uh, Tenet? Well, <laughs> I, so on a scale of 10, because we've already touched upon this in our last podcast we did, that I don't like rating skills, uh, films on five. Out of 10, I'd give it a two or a three. Okay. Um, I know that's a bit shocking and I know a lot of people are going to be like, 
you know, that's outrageous. But I, I, I feel like his films over the recent, as I was saying before, over the recent uh, four or five films he's done, um, I think his um, quality of film has started to uh, decrease. And I think it really came to its climax with uh, Tenet. Um, I felt that the film was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was messy, uh, probably kind of how I'm sounding now, but it, it was messy in terms of like the way it was edited, which I think obviously that's a part of the way he makes films anyway. He likes cross cuttings. He likes to have questionable narratives. He displaces timelines, etc. But I think this film really failed in terms of its setting of the act system. It plays in with the act one, act two, act three system. Uh, but when it gets to um, trying to explain, you know, characters' motivations, why we should care about them, who they are, it kind of just makes you forget about that and try and force through the plot. But because of that, you don't really have much emotional attachment to these characters. And the fact the main character is called just the protagonist, I just find it's just very yeah. cliche. It's very, like, on the nose. And I think it, it really... You only find out what the villain's motivation is by act two or three, which does really make the film quite hard to follow. And I think that's one of the major things, because I don't think it's actually very confusing in terms of like its plot. It's a secret agent team trying to stop a villain who's using time travel techniques to destroy the planet. They're being sent stuff from the future to do that. But because of the way in which it, the, it, it approaches the act system, it doesn't do it well. And there's nothing wrong with changing that. Films like Pulp Fiction obviously do that. But when it's following a protagonist that you're meant to become invested in, I think it really, really, really struggles. And I was watching it with my partner who really loves Christopher Nolan. And even she was like, this is not good. This is not a good film to watch. So I give it a two or three because obviously technically it's very proficient and his films look great, as I said before. But I feel like this was far more style over substance. And it was far more, doesn't it look good? Isn't it a cool idea than this is actually a really well-structured, put-together film? Yeah, I, you know, actually, I you know, have had time to sort of reflect on everyone's feelings on, on this film. And a lot of things rang true. One of the things I did very much notice, and this only became apparent when we started talking about um, the back catalogue of films, was the lack of emotional connection to the main character because I was yeah. kind of you know with the character of Cat, um, you know, Elizabeth Debicki's character, um, with her son and and that kind of emotional core that was very strong. That felt quite sort of potent. Um, I didn't feel that, but that's fair. <laughs> well, well, in terms of in terms of if you were gonna pick something from the film that was sort of emotionally investing, like that was that was probably one of the only things for me. Um, and I felt that um, you know, Washington's character, the main main character, as you say, does, doesn't even have a name. And well, it's it, they specifically do that at the beginning. You know, they have him yeah. take a cyanide pill, and he literally says at the beginning, "Oh, you're a blank slate now." So we don't know anything yeah. about where he comes from. And obviously, you. Know, that's important because you know, by the end of the film, you know why, um, mm. which I, I kind of saw that coming. Like that, that, that was fine for me. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I all, everyone thinks that if you're going to deal with something as time going backwards, you kind of at least can say, well, that, that was uh, easy to, to spot. But um, I think we, you know, when you know, we'll move on to Dunkirk in a minute and we all talked about, well, a lot of us talked about how um, emotional we found that film to be. And with Tenet, I, at no point did I feel, <laughs> that I was yeah. going to well up about anything. Like, yes, I was thrilled and I was excited and it was quite a powerful film. 
but I, I didn't feel that pang. There wasn't a moment where I thought, oh gosh, I am really, really feeling this no, now. I, yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree with you there. The only thing I'd add, sorry to, to, I'm just looking over my notes from the last podcast. The only thing I'd add <laughs> is obviously I did see it in cinema and their sound was an issue for me. And I think I said before in the last podcast, that's not necessarily a bad thing to have dialogue that you can't understand because you have films like Along the Waterfront that have particular scenes where you can't um, hear characters on purpose but his films specifically he makes them for IMAX cinema and you can't hear stuff due to the fact that he's specifically done it in a certain way so if you go to a standard cinema you're not actually going to be able to hear what they're saying which is actually quite mm -hmm. alienating to an audience and I found that quite frustrating to to approach within a cinema now I've watched it again subsequently at home and you do get to hear people better Dialogue's not great still, but you still have like a <laughs> element of understanding people a bit better than you know hearing their non sequiturs and like their general like vagueness, but you still hear it. <laughs> um, I found that the opening scene, um, which was in the uh, symphony and the orchestra, that bit, um, you know, they're talking behind these masks and things, and it was like, God, I, I can't, I can't yeah. really hear what you're saying. I like I had subtitles on. Um, did anyone else uh, struggle with the dialogue or the performances in, in any way? Yeah, uh, sorry, go on, Alicia. Sorry, um, I think I have too much emotion um, when it comes to films. So I got a big emotional reaction from Tenant. And I, when I think about it, I do have a, a reason, but I feel like I shouldn't have that reaction. Does that make sense? Well, what, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, which sort of uh, thread of the film was it that was particularly powerful? I, I did quite feel myself, I was so enthralled with it all that I think I think it might have been um, the, the music. Okay, yeah. It was a, a big reaction that I got from the music, but then that did manage to, you know, it held my attention. So I did gain some kind of connection to the characters as well but I think that's just in my nature that I always look for a connection in characters so I always manage to find something to connect with them hmm. yeah absolutely um I think you know Nolan does write characters well um and there's definitely a lot of characters there to to choose from obviously uh, Michael Caine turns up <laughs> as he does um but only for a little bit I found the the Kenneth Branagh section where they sort of went through what had happened to him. I thought this felt a bit sort of almost superhero-y. I was like, this is kind of very um, on the nose and just creating a villain that was not that far off Thanos. And um, it, it didn't didn't do anything for me. Chris, how about you? Yeah, I think I, I, did, I did have some issues with the sound, but I think that's a thing that is prevalent in quite a few of Nolan's films. So it wasn't unexpected for me i do agree with alicia i think the music was part of the thing that gave me the biggest sort of emotional connection to the film uh on the on the flip side i have to agree with ian that i don't i didn't feel a connection with elizabeth Bickley's character at all in fact i didn't think her character was particularly well presented i think she does really well with it because she's obviously an amazing actress but i was never really invested in her plight and a lot of the dialogue is basically just reiterations of how important her son is 
and yeah, her son yeah. becomes a reoccurring thing. Yeah, I, 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 I'll, paraphr- I'll paraphrase what the quote from the film is, but if we fail, the world and the world dies, and then she comes turns around and says, "And so does my son." It's just a bit like <laughs> I like thinking uh, that her son specifically doesn't die. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, everybody but your son. Like, um, I I completely agree that, that with Chris there with the dialogue and as well. You know, I think this is something that's probably prevalent in a lot of Nolan's films that there is this sort of need to explain. And um, there's a lot of dialogue where you have people saying something to us, the audience, rather than to each other. And it does beg you to think that maybe he's thinking, I need to explain stuff to people when you don't need to, you know, like a really great time travel film, which I think actually this, if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend it because I feel like this draws a lot from it is Primer, which doesn't necessarily explain things to you as an audience, but it kind of just drags the story through the characters it shows it through the way in which time travel works in the film rather than going oh this is how it works this is what's going to happen that's their motivations um and it's interesting because i think inception which is a film which i have it's a good film you know and i think he does a better job of explaining things in that with like elliot page's character coming into the group learning how the inception process works whereas in this we don't really have that moment in act one that comes when we see them go through the time turner and and he, by that point you know we know sort of, it's just too late in the film for us to be getting invested in characters i definitely think um exposition is a, a thing within nolan films and i was watching uh, the prestige quite recently for the podcast and there's a bit where um you know they're, they're talking about the magic tricks and it was like, this is absolutely pure Nolan in terms of like, that's what he loves. He loves the idea of it being like, this is how it works. And this is this is why it's so interesting. And then you have those bits in almost all the films where they kind of have to give the audience a, a little sort of hymn sheet to just go, Look, this is this is where we're going. And this is, you know, try and keep up. Um, but I, I did feel that was not enough within Tenet. Whereas in the other films, I, I actually felt Inception was almost heavy handed. It was like, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with this already. Like, I don't need any more. But with Tenet, it was like, I, I want some more. Can someone just you know, sort of step out and explain this to me? Um, it's interesting you say that with Inception because I actually feel the difference with that. You know, I, I feel like even in action set pieces where we will learn about the motivations of like, um, is it is Shido? Shido. Um, he, the, the man they're, they're incepting at the beginning, we learn a lot about yeah. him via that scene whereas in 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 internet the the action scenes are just really nothing going on firing the action i I didn't really like the last action uh bit in tenet i must say the the, that last sort of 20 minutes or so was a bit all over the place and i I didn't really sort of gravitate towards it unlike the say the action in dunkirk um which we're going to move on to now actually um because that was a very different film um in terms of it's still got a bit of timey-wimey in it which is the uh um you know the, the, was it the is it like an hour a week in the day or something um the different characters three different storylines um uh, andrew how do you feel about dunkirk yeah i watched this quite recently it's um it's an interesting one dunkirk i think because it's i think by and large a very very good film about these incredibly serious emotional events and I think he does deliver on that in the last kind of half or so he does deliver on that I think because when only you get the emotion you get the power of it when all these storylines kind of coalesce as these different characters all approach Dunkirk Beach but 
I think for an hour, there's a lack of emotional connection. I think the fact that he jumps around between characters does mean we struggle to form an emotional connection to any of them. I think, like you said, there is a bit of timey-wimey. It is, he can't tell a story in, in order. And I'm not sure, I'll have to rewatch it and think about this a lot, but I just, I'm not sure that the film actually gains anything by telling it in that order, rather than just telling it. Yes, I can see the different perspectives, but the fact that we're going between different timings, I just think sometimes you just need to let the film breathe and let us enjoy being with the characters and build up that emotion rather than always trying to show us a trick. That said, the action, amazing. He does deliver on the emotion eventually. The performances are all great. I think it's, you know, it's a very good film. It is, but... I do think sometimes it's almost weighed down by his directorial flair rather than being a product of it, a, you know, a positive product of it. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you know talking about the that he does inject the timey wimey stuff, but within, I think you know the war genre is maybe not something that you want to do that with because you know the chronological events are really important that if you start sort of messing with that it, it could almost be sort of um it almost be upsetting i think um ian how are you on uh, on dunkirk um yeah no i can completely agree with what andrew's saying with the cutting i think that does detriment to the emotional connection to the characters that we're seeing um shockingly i'm also not the biggest fan of dunkirk um <laughs> so um <laughs> i think it, it definitely um much like I said at the start, I respect that Nolan wants to create spectacle and he wants to create these huge like scenes and these huge sort of like set pieces. But Dunkirk almost feels cold and sterile and empty for a for a scene which you have Kenneth Branagh, uh, you know, looking across the beaches being like, oh, you know, there's 40,000, you know, troops out there. Um, I, I didn't think there was. I've seen more people in Brighton Beach on a weekend. You know, I saw more people on the beach breaking lockdown measures <laughs> on <laughs> the news. You know, it, it, it just is so cold because of that. And, and you don't really get to get the moment where you're invested in these characters. Um, you know, my, my to quote my dad, you know, you're meant to have these moments where you, you're genuinely fearful for these guys' lives. And I just never felt that. I never felt this moment of like, they could die here, you know, because it just felt empty. Whereas you compare, you know, the scenes in, say, Atonement, where you have them working, walking through. I mean, that's an amazing shot anyway, a single shot through the beaches of Dunkirk. It's a fantastic shot. You feel so much in just one shot than you did in this entire film. And you have moments in the film where you have like characters dying and they're like 16 year old and they're monologuing about life. And I'm like, if you're 16 and you're dying, that is not the way you're going to be reacting to, to what's happening to you. And it, it feels like Nolan's trying to do something like emotional depth and breadth of the Dunkirk moments uh, of history. But instead, it just ends up feeling just very cold and emotionally empty and i, I kind of wish i kind of wish he had maybe just focused on a battle of britain film because the aerial sequences are very good you know it gives across like the tension of a flight 
combat, even though for some reason Tom Hardy's gun has like the most ammo I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, Spitfire <laughs> would only shoot about three seconds or four. And in that it's like nonstop fire. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, you know, the combat sequences in the air are really good. And I kind of wish I had more of that, but because it kept cutting with time, I was invested in that. Then suddenly we jumped to the boat and I was like, oh, oh okay, we're here now. And then it would cut to the beach. I'm like, oh, okay. And it didn't allow you a moment to just settle into a scene. And I think that's a, something a lot of his films do. They don't allow a scene to breathe. Wow. I mean, I'm interested to hear that you found it cold. I mean, Chris, does it, did it leave you cold? Um, I must say I have to disagree, Ian. Um, sorry. Fine. Um, don't worry. No, don't worry, man. I'm used to that. But then, <laughs> but then I think perhaps, because maybe I'm a bit like Alicia in that, once emotion gets me, I can just get swept away in it. And I, that... I want to say I'm not like emotionally cold, by the way. I... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, but I don't know. Maybe it was just how I wasn't, how I felt in the day, or I, I don't know. But this this film just really grabbed hold of me and just didn't let go till the very end. And I just remember, like, I think my mouth was open for most of it, just in in awe of it. I might be a bit. Obviously, the historical accuracy, I think, which you mentioned last time around, Ian. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I studied history, so it does yeah, affect the way I look yeah. at it. I mean, and, I, and I'll admit, I have a certain naivety as to the historical accuracy of these things. Um, but I think maybe with what Nolan's trying to do with the emotion here, and maybe partly what my brain was doing, thinking about what these men really went through at the time, just was a whole perfect storm of things that made me just get swept up in this film um it's a film i, I saw at the cinema when it came out and i think with a consciously consciously haven't revisited because i'm not sure if i went back whether i'd whether that would diminish the feeling i have for that <laughs> film um i i would hope i would hope not but it's 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 a, it's a feeling that i remember and my wife was with me at the time when we watched it and we both just came out and were like just emotionally drained from it and but just thinking of what a what what a film it was and how how it was all put together and yeah i i would agree that nolan has to put his own flair and his own spin on things and maybe it does doesn't need all that but for me it was definitely definitely an emotional experience well i think um yeah, it'd be good to go to Alicia here to see if, if she felt emotionally invested in this one. Well, now, here is something that is probably not very uh, expected at this point, but I rewatched it and unfortunately it did kind of just diminish everything that I felt. Oh, <gasps> don't let Ian win. Yeah. Don't let Ian win. No. Uh, I don't want to become the villain of this. <laughs> but it's, it's just that... I did, you know, I, I did get the emotional grasp at the end and I sobbed and then I sobbed again on the rewatch just because of the whole story, you know, what it's, the history that it's based on. And it, it was very good when everything, you know, tied together. I found that quite emotionally hitting, but everything else, no, thank you. <laughs> the action wow. is brilliant. I love the action, but it just, I understand the coldness of it now. And yeah. I really, really do. Because yeah, that's it, Alicia. Come to the dark side. That's no, it. No. <laughs> I, I, I think in the fairness of the scientific method, I'm going to have to rewatch it now just to check. Yes. If I, if I feel the same way. <laughs> but, like, but like I said, maybe it was in my head I was filling in gaps 
because my dad's some uh, really into war history and things. So I've grown up, you know, with all those things in my head. So knowing what those men went through or trying my absolute best without ever getting anywhere close to imagine what it was like, maybe, maybe I was filling in some of the gaps with that, but perhaps, perhaps. I mean, I will say something we mentioned before, and Alicia, I know it really touched for you, and, and it's a film I'll mention because I don't want people to think that I'm cold and heartless, but 1917, <laughs> it was a film that you mentioned before, and I think everybody here said had this really huge emotional reaction for them. Um, what was it that you found when you rewatched, say, uh, Dunkirk that 1917 perhaps had, and this didn't? 1917 was completely based on emotion, I felt. It was following a story of characters rather than a historical event. I think Nolan tried to incorporate, you know, both of those emotional emotional weight plus the action, but that's not his thing. He that's not really what he succeeds in overall. It's more of a, you know, like I said before, it's more of an experience, and that's I did feel that with Dunkirk. It was a good visual experience. But 1917, I was left so speechless because it was so, so emotional. Yeah, completely. Was I was in tears. Yeah, I, I couldn't speak for like an hour afterwards. It was just, it was so grasping. The action was brilliant, but the emotional aspect of it was weaved in throughout. But there was no, hardly any dialogue. There was hardly anything to actually indicate why why you're so emotionally attached to these characters but that's something that nolan doesn't really have in his films but yeah, i think like, with war films you need to have that you know emotional burst that's, that's a really interesting comparison actually yeah in terms of especially i mean we're going to do a podcast on war films actually um because they do have a sort of structure and a you know familiar layout uh brian i mean how do you feel about Dunkirk, do you feel that it kind of misses the mark here? No, I don't think it does. Actually, I really like Dunkirk. Historical inaccuracies are always going to be an issue for any filmmaker, and they will cut corners somewhere along the way. The alternating timelines can be annoying, I agree. We all prefer sequential storytelling, don't we? It's easier to follow a film in a straight line, but you still feel the impact of a real human drama. Bearing in mind Nolan's made 11 films, if you rank them in order of greatness, shall we say, Dunkirk would be in the top five for me. I think it's very strong. And visually, it's very arresting as well, which often diminishes when you see it on the small screen, but that's often the case with a lot of films, but particularly so with Dunkirk. Mm. I, I, I feel like it's not a film for the small screen. Um, I did watch it um, in cinema and on you know, TV and stuff, and... Um, I think that's true probably of most war films because of the scale and the epicness of it. You know, if you're watching the favorite Private Ryan, really, um, you know, you want it on the biggest screen possible. And um, this is definitely not one of Nolan's films that you'd want to see small. Um, similarly, the next film, you know, the sort of interstellar space opera kind of film, um, Brian, was that something that you felt delivered on the same kind of scale? Overall, I think it did. Again, it's key that you see it on a big screen. It's a good film, but it's very long. Two hours, 48 minutes. You know, And they used to say anything longer than one hour 40, you'd lose the audience. People would just mm. switch off. 
That's not an issue here because there's so much going on visually to keep you engaged. Again, the bonus there is when you see it on a big screen. On a small screen, it becomes more of an issue. You've got this angst-ridden storyline with Interstellar about finding a new planet to live on. And I do wonder if it's just a love story underneath it all. Those final scenes where Cooper flies off to join... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Brand on this new planet. Was that just a happy ending? No one was slipping in there? I don't know. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it. <laughs> I liked your initial review, though. That was brilliant. It just goes, it's a good film. It's a bit long. <laughs> they could have put that on the poster and that would have done. <laughs> it's a good film. It's a bit long. Um, Andrew, how are you with uh, with Interstellar? I'm positive, again, on Interstellar. I think it, we have to go back further before I really love an Olin film, I think, and would really, like, shout about it. I think it's one of the weaker ones for me, but still good. Um it's it's long it's really long like you said and it, it but it takes a long time getting to know these characters and that's something i generally generally appreciate in a film and i like a film that gives us that time to breathe and to listen to the characters and get to know them and then emotionally connect to them but for a film that spends so long on a father daughter relationship i didn't feel it and i've been thinking about this as other people have been discussing it as well and I've been thinking about why in Dunkirk it feels a bit cold, why Interstellar feels a bit cold. And I'm not really sure, but I, I can't deny that it does. I think there's a an element of it that just doesn't hit me. And that there can be one scene of another film and I'm in tears. And I think Interstellar tries so hard to make it all... It's explicitly said it's all about love. That's the overriding thing that conquers all of this science and stuff. And yeah, I didn't feel the love. That said, I think the performances are great. I think it's um, visually great as usual. I was compelled all the way through. It's long, but I was, you know, intrigued and interested and dragged along by it. So again, it's a positive for me. I just, the more we talk about these things, the more I think perhaps the limitations of Nolan's filmmaking come to the fore. It's interesting, You're all isn't it? around. <laughs> yeah, we're all getting back into the sort of swing of, of re-evaluating. You know, I was hoping that we'd eventually gang up Join on Ian and, yeah. and uh, force him to, to love all these films. But yeah, Trust I me, think my girlfriend's tried that and it's never worked. It, one of the things, you know, this common theme of it, you know, are they lacking in warmth? Um, you know, it would have been interesting to see this um, discussion, how it would have gone had we started with a completely different 
um, timeline of his films, you know, if we'd have gone chronological, because I know there's a lot of love for the earlier films and we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, Chris, how are you with uh, with Interstellar? Do you, do you feel that it was like an emotionally powerful film or, or not really? Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like the emotion is there, but I feel like it. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's it's too long a film. I think it could be trimmed down, especially probably in the first act. I feel like Nolan's really pushing us to feel something, and I think he does get us to feel that, but he really is pushing us to get to the place he wants us to go, and it doesn't happen naturally. Um, but I think, yeah. It's obviously a very technically proficient film. It looks great. The cast is great. And everything you expect from, from Nolan. Um, but yeah, th- there is clunky dialogue. And, you know, like I say, it's a bit long. I, I wasn't, I was never bored. I never got to the end. I thought, oh, please just finish. But, you know, it's it's great. Although the ending is a bit squiffy um, for me. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no one's mentioned it yet. No one's said the dreaded word, have they? Well, I think I said it on the, the last time we recorded this. But I have a friend who's who's got a degree in astrophysics, and I, I ran for he'd seen the film and I'd seen the film, and I ran for each bit. And I asked him, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, pretty much all there except for the end. Doesn't make sense." <laughs> um, but he also said that well, no one really knows what happens, so no one has artistic license to do what he wants. So I guess he gets away with it there. But I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. The ending. As, uh, yeah, <laughs> Ian. I mean, Ian, did any of it work for you? No, no. <laughs> okay, Alicia. Um, no. <laughs> no, okay, um, sorry, okay. I, I think everybody's kind of touched upon it a lot, but this film does feel incredibly cold, and I completely agree. But I think there is reasons why it feels cold. It's not just oh, this is why no one's like this. I think at this point, this was the moment for me that my opinions on Nolan really took a nosedive because at this point, people were comparing him to Stanley Kubrick, which I I love Kubrick's films. And for him to be put in the echelons of that conversation, I was like, I can't, I cannot do this. Like, that's not the same. Like, this is not 2001. This does not have the same, like, hit to it. And I think there's it's interesting to compare the two because you look at the way in which, you know, Interstellar is made. For a film that wants you to focus on the emotional, like, element of the film, which 2001 doesn't. You know, 2001 famously was, like, considered very cold to Tarkovsky, who made Solaris, a far more emotional film. And one I recommend if you didn't like Interstellar, because I think it does this narrative of going to find another planet to live on far better than this. Um, it, it does this, um, it, it wants you to care about this father-daughter relationship. It only spends 40 minutes with them in the entire film. And as we've all said, it's a very long film to only spend 40 minutes with the crux of your plot. And then in the two films, you look at 2001 and you look at this, you have a film that won't, uh, 2001 scenes, you'll be struggled to find a scene that's, uh, or a shot that's shorter than 20 seconds because, you know, um, Kubrick wants you to immerse yourself in the shot, feel the emotion, feel the breadth of it, because he doesn't make the characters emotional, but he makes the setting emotional. He makes you get connected to what you're seeing. Whereas in this film, there isn't shots that are more than five seconds or scenes, I should say, because it cuts, cuts, cuts. Even Matthew McConaughey, which I think puts in a really great performance, crying over seeing his um, daughter age. But because it kept cutting, 
I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. You, I can tell you're emotional, you know, take a minute. You know, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, it, it, it just completely for me really falls. And it, it tries to talk about this love element and the dialogue is so, you know, like Anne Hathaway saying love isn't something we invented. It's observed. It transcends. I'm like, so angers that as well then every other emotions that i get what you're trying to do but because you've just kept this so vague and you're wanting us to feel it again i was like oh man you know this is i i went back and watched this after the podcast because i was like you know i get what people were saying about that connection to it i actually ended up leaving this disliking it more i was like <laughs> why did i rewatch this why did i do this to myself um yeah no I, it really really didn't do anything for me um I don't think I can put it anymore, um, you know, bluntly. <laughs> I'm I'm going to turn to Alicia. Alicia, how about you? Can we save this film? Is, is Interstellar up there for it, for you? Definitely, definitely. It yes. had a big emotional <laughs> impact on me. But, you know, I don't think anything will reach the level of emotional uh, force that I felt with 1917 because that is the best not even only the theater experience experience but film experience that I've ever had but interstellar was pretty close pretty close it does have you know I, I like the the thought of the uh, love aspect of it all but the dialogue was really ugh. it was really <laughs> cringy and I because I was sitting there and I was like well that's such a good sentiment and then I kind of went hold on what did she say did you really <laughs> say that um but yeah I, I like the the idea of it and I liked um how it was all laid out and uh, I I liked that my dad said that it, it's it's a good science fiction one and you know it's it's very how do I put it sciencey if that makes any sense it, it's it, interesting it, it you is, said yeah. science fiction there um mm -hmm. just because I was saying I was just thinking sorry to cut you off Chris I was just thinking when we were talking about this science fiction is very hard to make emotional it's a very cold genre and my favorite film Blade Runner is a film that is you know it can be conceived as cold throughout until you get to that moment where you have you know the main antagonist breaking down over his existence and I think I get that sci-fi can be very cold and you know I, I do think a film like Solaris is really great for showing the more human element of it so I get what he was trying to do in this film and I, I see what you're saying with that's what you're your dad saying with it being sci-fi and doing that Alicia I completely get that um it just was very cold because it maybe tried too hard to do the love thing if you get what I mean it kind of like the opposite of what I was trying to do yeah I, yeah I understand that I understand that a lot because I, I I was able because I have just I just overly emotional person like <laughs> I was watching um you know that like pottery show on somewhere i can't remember what channel. oh is it the one where they make like different pots and stuff and then put it in front of judges yeah 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 i've seen that i, I know exactly what show that is <laughs> i cry i cry at that show it's an emotional show don't judge yourself it's a lot man they put a lot into their pots and then the the, the judge starts crying and i suck up yeah. all his emotions and i just start bawling my eyes out <laughs> so i i was able to still grasp on to that father-daughter relationship especially because i understand how you, it needs to be you know held on to um but I do I really do understand the you know the underwhelming aspect of it all well I, I think you're all going to be very surprised that um Christopher Nolan actually directs that pottery show 
<laughs> oh my god i love him now <laughs> he brings he brings the emotion i think you know that's uh that's not um let's not let him off uh too harshly um <laughs> so we've moved through some of the sort of individual films of the you know, more recent years um let's talk a bit about the dark knight trilogy because um you know the other films we've all talked about individual storylines no connection before or after no sequels um but here you know it's nolan stepping into the superhero genre um before i think was it before the likes of iron man um i'm pretty sure about yeah Batman begins with 2005 so yeah um heavyweight movies i know there's a lot of love for these films generally um but not fully across the board um alicia how are you with the dark knight trilogy i know it's not up there with the pottery but you know (laughs) (laughs) i yeah i really like the dark knight trilogy but it's difficult because i am a fan of batman and there's so many different maybe the right word is interpretation um but my favorite would like my favorite joker would be um jack nicholson so it's it's very no it's all very different so you can you have to really isolate whenever it's it's whenever there's a new film um you have to isolate it as it's one thing you have to either like this version or not if that makes any sense but yeah Mm. i i really enjoyed the trilogy um my friend she said the other day that she didn't and i think that's when i realized that i really 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 like it because i got like kind of angry inside <laughs> like how can you not how can you not like it it is a it's definitely a set of films to be sort of defensive about um because i i for one um i can remember vividly seeing the second one in the cinema and it was a family experience and we were all talking it was one of those films we were all talking about it for like not just the car ride home but for like days after just because of Heath Ledger and, and everything that we'd seen and even that on its own like that film just by itself was was tremendous um Andrew where are you with the with the Dark Knight yeah very positive really I think I, it's, sadly the the Batmans his Batmans aren't something I've had a chance to rewatch recently as much as the others which is a shame um I was kind of saving for a full Batman retrospective of all kinds but I think just thinking back to when The Dark Knight came out, I think it's hard to remember a film having that much impact culturally. I think there was just... I mean, I'm just checking now. It's still number four on the IMDb Top 250. And I think... I'm not I'm not coming here and saying it's the fourth best film ever made. I'm just saying that that power of it, everyone I spoke to had seen it, and it just thought that a superhero film, a Batman film, was that well-beloved by pretty much everyone, not just audiences, but critics as well, and had this darkness to it, and this, and it was made by Christopher Nolan, and I think that, I think The Dark Knight was the film when he became a huge filmmaking force, and as I said, like, as we see now, he is a dominant player in the film in a way nobody else is, really, in terms of a director's, a director's name, and I think... Mm. The Dark Knight has a lot to do with that because I think it's Heath Ledger's Joker, it's the pencil trick, it's the sort of crime thriller masquerading as a superhero film. You know, it's it's all those things that just make it so memorable. And so I think a lot of superhero films now are kind of dark and a lot of films went darker because of it and people criticise that. But I think that real 
grit and that kind of almost scary, manic edge to the Joker that I think brings an emotion to it in a way that maybe we've criticised some of his other films for lacking. There's a sort of colour to it rather than a kind of sheen sort of um, silvery coldness to all his other films. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. I, I think that there's... Um... He did start a lot of things, but I think you know when you look at the DC films later on that tried to be dark, but they they completely misjudged it because they thought it meant you know kind of almost literally they meant it. Oh, let's make it darker, but it's like no, no, that's not what Nolan did. It's actually a very colourful, vibrant film, as you say, yeah. um, you know, even from Batman Begins, and that's because I think it's definitely you know, if you compare it to his later films. He understood the character and he understood how important mm-hmm. that character was and the you know, the people next to him. Um, you know, the 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 love interests and and even you know Alfred. Um, I think that that he gets those those bits definitely right. Whilst making a very kind of theatrical, spectacular set of films, they're all very um, impressive cinematically. Uh, Brian, I mean, do you feel that way about the Dark Knight trilogy, or, or not really? Yes, I really enjoyed all three of the films. Uh, huge fan of Batman as a character. I feel directors are under a duty of care whenever they tackle the character and the story. So I think on that basis, I think Nolan did a very good job. I think uh, The Dark Knight is probably the best out of the three, primarily because, as we just mentioned, the performance of Heath Ledger, I think he was superb as the Joker. And that must have something to do with Nolan, what what he got out of him. I think he was outstanding. But I think they're beautifully put together. Uh, they're absolutely brilliant. And in terms of popular culture, I think Batman is the ultimate superhero. And I, as I say, I think whenever it's whenever directors return to the character, they need to be very careful with it because it is a special character. Well, I know that the, the next person is going to feel pretty much exactly the same way. Uh, Chris Buick, you're a, you're a Batman fan, right? Uh just ever so slightly um yeah so yeah i've i've grown up with batman since um since michael keaton uh alicia fed on with jack nicholson's joker is up there uh as one of the great villains in the not just the batman universe but i think in the superhero universe i think he puts in a really good performance but for me um obviously after the keaton ones you had batman forever and batman robin which have their merits let's say and and are and are fun you know fun in a way that maybe wasn't fully intended um i I think they're fantastic yeah i mean (laughs) just incredible arnold schwarzenegger's best performance today yeah (laughs) um i I actually i actually don't think uh, batman forever is terrible i just don't think it's that great batman robin that's another it's the like so bad it's good yeah I mean, I love Uma Thurman, but I hope I wish she wasn't in that movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so after those two films, the franchise is essentially dead in the water, and then Nolan comes along and basically revitalizes it with Batman Begins, which I think is a really underrated film. I know it's it has it gets a lot of praise and a lot of credit, but I think it is underrated in what it did for the franchise and bringing it back. Um, but The Dark Knight. There's a reason it's spoken about in such acclaim constantly, not just as a superhero film, but as a film, as a film, a piece of filmmaking. I think it's definitely up there as one of the one of the greats. Uh, I I'm one of those who thinks that the Dark Knight Rises actually isn't 
that bad a film. I think there's a lot of good things in that. It's not as I think it suffers from not being as good as the first two, but I think that's a high a high bar to to reach. Um, and the fact that Nolan manages to steer a whole trilogy with great success just shows. Um, and and also, I think what Brian said is filmmakers have a, a duty of care towards the characters they're they're writing about or they're portraying and i think nolan does that um big comic book fan of uh especially batman so i can see a lot of care has gone into what he did and the world he builds around it and of course can't go away without mentioning heath ledger's joker which is just one of the best performances i've seen in a long long time yeah, I, I I revisited that film recently, and that opening um, where he's just holding the mask at the uh, the corner it just, it sent shivers down me because I knew what was coming. I thought, oh, this is uh, this is going to be something special. Um, Ian, how are you with the the Dark Knight films? Well, you know, interestingly, I guess a lot of us here have said, you know, we really love comic book films and uh, and comic books generally. You know, I, I think it's quite funny that you know we live in a society now that I as a kid was bullied bullied a lot for reading comic books but a lot of those bullies now watch Marvel films which is quite funny so I also really love comic books love comic book films um and I'm Batman's not my favorite character I like him a lot DC overall is my favorite comic book um uh publisher other than like Dark Horse perhaps but you know the the I prefer Superman. I'm just going to say that, which I know down the line, we've got um, a comic book sort of episode with Batman discussions. We can get to that there. But in terms of Christopher Nolan's free, I think it's a weird one because I feel Batman Begins. I really like, I really like Batman Begins because it feels the most probably like a comic book film that I can go to. It feels the most that he's gone and like looked at this film, really looked at the comic books and gone, right, this is what we're going to make. Then Dark Knight, uh, again, I'm going to sit on the controversial side. I know people are going to be like, oh, Ian, what are you talking about? You know, and I respect that. I think it's overrated. I think it's put up there because of the performance by Heath Ledger, but there's a lot in it that just doesn't sit great. There's a lot of bad editing, about a lot of bad cuts. There's that awful one which stands out where you have the party and Batman falls out of the building with Rachel. They hit a car, which how they survive, but fair enough, he's Batman. But then it just cuts. We don't know what happened to the party. We don't know what the Joker did. We don't know what happens. It just cuts. And I just, if it's things like that in that film that just don't, I just don't enjoy as much. And Dark Knight Rises, I, it's Dark Knight, I will say, is a good film. Like 100%, I'm not going to be here going, oh, it's terrible. It's just, it doesn't hit the highs for me as much as it does for other people. Dark Knight Rises for me, poor, not a good film. <laughs> I, I, I really that film, man. I, 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 there's so much of it that I'm just like, what is going on? Why is this happening like this? Like sending all of the police department into the sewers to find Bane, so all of the police are there, barring that one guy. Oh, that'll be fine. That's a good idea. Like I just, it doesn't. And the combat sequences in Dark Knight Rises, I think, highlight more that he's not very good at doing. Um, combat scenes um, so I have mixed feelings towards the Dark Knight I don't think, or Dark Knight trilogy I don't think it's bad and I would never say that because I think I would be banned from coming on to this podcast every <laughs> um, I think it has good moments like Batman Begins, great I really really like that film, I really do but you know Dark Knight is just heat and I think that's good but I would have liked to have seen perhaps 
something a bit different. And I really enjoy Heath Ledger, obviously, but, you know, we didn't get to really enjoy time with uh, Two-Face, who I think is a great character from the comic books. I really enjoy Harvey Dent in the comic books. They didn't really explore that. He's basically dead. But by the end, within like a good 20 minutes of him being there, dead. And I'm just like, oh, okay, that's a shame because he's a great character and somebody who I really enjoy in the comic books. Um, whilst we're talking about Batman, though, I will say my favourite joke is actually Cesar Romero from the 1966 film. That's all I'm going to say with his mustache. <laughs> it's good you said that, Ian, because obviously it just undermines everything you've just said. So it's really yeah, you know, I don't take myself too seriously. It's all good. <laughs> and this, all I had where you, where you said that was, you know, the noise from the TV show. Where it goes, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I when I was a kid, I loved that film. Like I loved so it. I. And then when I became an angsty teen, you know, with my emo haircut, I was like, man, that's terrible. But now I'm older, I'm like, that is amazing. It's so good. <laughs> the TV show is amazing. They've done a comic book series on it as well, which I totally recommend to everybody read. It's so good. They do Bane as well. And instead of being with Venom Juice, he's a Spanish, me- sorry, a Mexican wrestler, which I just love. I think that's so good. <laughs> So I totally recommend it. But yeah, Dark Knight, good. Watch it. Enjoy it. Yeah, I think for me, I the moment there's a moment in Dark Knight that always gets me. It's when um the mayor's in his office and he looks at the window and the body hits the window every time makes me jump. How many times I've seen it, every time. You know, that whole sequence with Heath Ledger, like, on the phone is really sinister. It's really, really sinister. It's interesting, though, what we were talking about with it influencing uh, films. Sorry, I'm getting a lot of thoughts all at the same time. But with influencing of films, I've just watched the Snyder Cut of of Justice League. Um, I've not fully finished it yet. I'm paused on Act 12, whatever it is. And (laughs) I, I, I just feel people particularly Zack Snyder he's a similar director to me that I have time of respect and comparing the two of them is interesting in my head because I'm like none of their films well actually that's not true some of Christopher Nolan's have hit higher highs but both of them I respect because I I see what they're trying to do I see what they're trying to achieve but they don't quite click for me and I feel like Justice League and Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman they're all too heavily influenced by the Nolan trilogy. And in a way, I'm kind of like, it, it's not their fault and it's not Nolan's fault, but I wish these films didn't affect other films so much. They, they are what they are. They're their trilogy. We don't need to make everything like that in DC because Superman isn't that character. He should be bright. He should be, you know, forgiving and loving. It shouldn't be tense and angry and, you know, angsty. And, I don't know. I, maybe it's just because I've just watched the Snyder Cut and I'm just a bit like, oh, I, I feel like we missed something here. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I do agree. I do agree that the recent DC films have tried to really replicate the formula of what Nolan did with the Dark Knight trilogy, um, and as well as trying to set themselves set themselves aside from what Marvel are doing. Um, and I think, yeah, I think they do suffer from that. I think you're right. Yeah. It's a shame. I mean, we should do, or in the future, if we can, talk about the Snyder Cut in a, a different podcast because it's a big thing. And I think, you know, I, I think he does really try to do something there. But it's just a shame because in my head, and maybe it's just because I read them as a kid and I read them now, the DC characters are almost like cultural icons. You know, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, they're these cultural icons. And when Marvel created their universe, you know, Captain America, Thor, and, you know, um, Iron Man were actually B-list characters in the comic books, which is weird to think about now because they're so huge. Nolan made that trilogy. It was so seminal as a moment that I feel like other films have now been so affected by it that it has to reach for that and I think that's a shame because 
it maybe detracts a bit from that trilogy because I'm now thinking, oh, you've affected so much in a way that I don't want it to. Like even that Joker film being made, I don't know if it would have if The Dark Knight hadn't been made because people oh, want yeah. to see more of that character. I think, you know, 100%, you know, the, the legacy of, of Heath Ledger's performance is... is must be directly linked to this um yeah for that film Mm. to have come out uh, a couple of years ago and what i think that you know with what nolan did with that trilogy is is similar to what he's done with a lot of his films is you know like it or or not it's his stamp on this completely and that's what you don't get with other superhero films is often it's a is an ensemble kind of effort that you you will have directors that do their thing zach snyder actually is kind of quite um, you know, he has his own style, um, but I don't think anyone you know does it quite like Nolan does, which is like it's his baby. This is what he you know intends to do, um, and what and you know it starts and finishes with the, you know, the first and the third film, and it's very much that like he had that um, that view that that's the way that it was yeah. going to go, and I think he does it really really well. Um, what I want to kind of do just as a oh, sorry, go go in. No, I was just going to add up on that. Sorry, I think you're hundred percent right because you look at. I, who I think is the best British director at the moment, uh, Edgar Wright, was forced off making absolutely the agree. Film. Yes, um, which is so tr- really, I was so angry at that because you know mm-hmm. I was, I've been lucky enough to actually be in like an audience with Edgar Wright, and he's such an awesome person. He 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 loves Ant Man, and he read Ant Man as a kid, and I wanted to see his Ant Man, and they forced mm-hmm. him off, and it makes me sad as a comic reader that we didn't get that. And even though I'm critical of Nolan. He got to make the films he wanted to make and he got to yeah. make them in the image that he wanted to do it in. And you've got to respect that massively. Absolutely. Um, what we're going to do now, guys and girl, um, sorry, Alicia, you are the only girl on the show. So I have to uh, <laughs> say, I can't go plural yet. Um, we're just going to go uh, down the line or up the line um, and just, you can give a shout out either for uh, a Nolan film we've already talked about or one that we haven't mentioned. You know, there's a lot on the list that we've not actually covered. So um I'll start with Brian. Uh, Brian, which kind of Nolan film did you want to give a, a shout out to? And why? Um, I would have to go for The Prestige. I think it's nice. a wonderful film. I didn't go mm. as far as to say it's the best thing that Nolan's ever done. Uh, the casting spot on Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale play off each other really well. And Michael Caine has a more substantial role. He often turns up in Nolan films playing a cameo. But this is much <laughs> meatier. It's authentic. It's full of atmosphere. It's got an intricate storyline, but it's not impenetrable, so you can follow it a lot more easily. Um, great film. It really works well. And you could believe it's Victorian London. It's a wonderful film that I think really inadvertently has got buried because of other films that have a much bigger profile within Nolan's canon of work. I, I would, yeah, 100% echo that. There's a lot of people that don't know that he directed The Prestige. Um, you know, when I talk to people about Nolan films, like sometimes it doesn't get mentioned and I kind of go, oh, what about the prestige? And he goes, did he do that? <laughs> um, you know, and it's like, you just have to look at it. It's got Michael Caine. You know, have to you know, assume that it's it's him. Um, I think prestige is, is terrific. Uh, really, really enjoyable film. Um, Ian, for you, I mean, I'll go to you tentatively. Um, is there one? <laughs> is there one? I, actually, no, I do know because you said last week, actually. So I, I mean, what, yeah. which would be your, uh, your pick? Uh, one thing I didn't mention last week um, which I know I must have come across as like quite a snob in this podcast. So I'm sorry about that. But no, um, it's, it's buried now. Don't <laughs> we? we deleted the file. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do uh, really like Inception. Um, that's not the one I'm going to talk about. The only thing I will say about Inception, which my friend kind of went to me, you've got to mention this because if you don't, I'm going to be annoyed with you. 
it is very much like a film called Paprika, which if you haven't seen, you definitely should. It's an amazing animation film, which deals with dreams. And it actually has shots which are almost identically copied, which I kind of go, did he mean to do that? Did he watch that? But that's a different point altogether. In, I do think that's a great film, though. Um, but the film I'm going to pick is actually Insomnia. Um, I think his his catalogue early on, like following, is fantastic. It's a really, really good film. Um, and it's a really good way to start sort of his, um, the way he did cross cutting and questionable narratives um insomnia kind of is his first foray into big budget films where he's been given it's i believe it's after memento which is also a great film but he has this budget to actually explore things and it's maybe a bit more of a safe option in terms of this narrative weaving and cross-cutting but i really enjoy the way that it gives a questionable um you know protagonist with his sleep you know deprivation you know he's not able to i can't say that word but he's not able to fully get a good night's sleep and thus it's making his narrative questionable you've got a fantastic performance by you know the late great robin williams who i love and i think he's so good in this film and i think it's one of those underrated performances that people forget a bit because they go oh you know mrs doubtfire that's fantastic and i'm like insomnia you should watch insomnia he's great in that um, so yeah, no, I really like that film, and I, I don't hate everything Nolan's ever done. You know, he's no Michael Bay, so that's that's the one I like. <laughs> um, Andrew, how about you? Yeah, um, I like to echo both those things. Prestige, love it. Memento, I think, hasn't been talked about mm. enough. I think Memento is a really, really good film, um, uh, but I can't not give my biggest shout out to Inception. I think I said it last time. I think Inception's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the greatest blockbusters I think I've ever seen it is the perfect Christopher Nolan film I think he hits the sweet spot that he has failed to hit in so many other films that does get me it's an interesting one Alicia saying that she rewatched Dunkirk and got that it was really cold and suddenly was like oh this didn't get me as much anymore I've rewatched Inception for the first time in a couple of years like a while ago and the end, I was really getting really emotional. It was the hands in the score. It's where he's walking through the airport. There's just mm. something about that film. Everything works. I can follow it, which is great. I it's um, It's got a bit of humour in there, which not many of his films have. I think it just has a bit more personality within the characters. Great cast, as always. It's, it's twisty-turny, but it has a comprehensible narrative that works and is engaging and thrilling, and it has a bit of emotional weight to it. And I just think it's miraculous i think it's a fantastic film yeah i i'd uh, echo that i i watched it um it's one of the few films that i did rewatch before we did the podcast because i hadn't seen it in a while um it's probably the one i've seen the most actually i i, I really do love that film i think it's it's so smart it's so clever and yeah i agree actually andrew i thought the ending um it got me more i don't know because now i'm watching it um as a father um it's even more kind of poignant for me um it's really quite heavy actually um chris buick how about you yeah i want to say as well the prestige i think deserves a mention it's 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 an underappreciated film in Nolan's canon you know i think it's really good really well put together great performances christian bill and hugh jackman but for me i'll and andrew's already so put it so eloquently is inception for me is probably up there with top nine after dark knight for me uh dark knight i've seen the most but inception i've definitely seen the most after that i just think it's got great great action the cast is great it's the right level of complicated especially for me um (laughs) you know i just i think for me it's just 
the whole package in terms of what a Nolan film can deliver. And I think he hits it just right there. Yeah, it's a terrific film. Absolutely terrific. Um, and we'll go to Alicia. So Alicia, uh, favourite Nolan film? I think I have one I, I, I kind of separate The Prestige as my favourite probably because of nostalgia, because it was one of the first big films that I watched when I was younger that it was not as straightforward for little tiny brain. <laughs> so it, it, you know, it was good to be able to explore that at such a young age. But I definitely have to give Memento uh, another mention there because of Guy Pierce. He does not get enough mm. credit for his acting. And in that film, he is brilliant. But then again, Inception, it probably in ties with The Prestige. I've watched 1917 uh, over 130 times, but Inception's probably the same amount. <laughs> So I have to have to tie that with you haven't watched it enough. Yes, exactly. I haven't watched it enough. I, I mean, are you going to go for you know, 1,917 views? I think that's probably the best thing to do, really. Just just get it all the way up there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> At which point you'll, you'll, you know, you'll turn around and go, you know what? it doesn't get me anymore. I just don't feel as emotional. I'm not bothered anymore. <laughs> um, I think, uh, yeah, you guys have all... Um, chat about the you know, the top films of, of Nolan and um, it's interesting having done this twice uh, because it, the reflection that we get and the times that we've spent going through these films in, in quite a lot of kind of granular detail and then also kind of an overview has just shown how rich the movies are at, at the very least I know you know we've got varying different feelings on these films you know some being left cold some not liking them at all not looking at you, Ian. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, when you talk about someone like Kubrick and then you talk about Nolan, I do think you can mention him in the same breath because of the, the, <laughs> the amount of, of films. You know. But I think it's because what's happening with Nolan, well, this is just my my thought, is that he's now doing what the what the rock stars do, which is where they get to you know, their, their 19th album and everyone's going, oh, have you heard that latest album? And it's not hitting the, the highs that we've seen previously. And you know, when you do take his films almost individually and you take the ones you really, really love, he is an incredible filmmaker. It's undeniable. He, in terms of the stories he's telling, I also think he's really important for cinema to show that people can still tell very original films originally original stories um it's not to say that they're absolutely faultless i think there are definite issues um we'll but, have to uh, do this the third time where I yeah we'll do it well it's restrained it, and i'm like <laughs> i he is the word no, i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like yeah knives out it'd be ready to go oh, um God, also yeah, available we'll have... on the podcast yeah um, <laughs> I, I do get what you mean there i would say somebody else to look at is uh, uh villeneuve i think he's also in that discussion now i think he makes phenomenal films i mean i you know you mentioned edgar wright and you know i'm well yeah, up I'm for doing the uh you know, the, the cornetto trilogy again so um yeah pull me into that one too um all right, Guy, I want to thank everyone for uh, turning up again and doing this again. Hopefully, we won't have to do this a third time. Um, but I'm, I'd be more than happy to because, yeah, I get to talk about these films again. Um, so this has been the UK Film Review podcast. Please share, like, follow, um, all those things. And, um, yeah, we'll see you again next time. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.